Welcome to the Fan Engagement Pod, a new conversation about fan engagement. Don't forget you can join the Fan Engagement Network at faninsights.co.uk forward slash network forward slash join for exclusive member services and benefits. This stuff is the teacher. 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 Welcome to episode 26 of the Fan Engagement Pod, a chat with Wiccan Wanderers Head of Media, Matt Cecil. This is about the first time I'd spoken with Matt and really enjoyed it. We looked at whether fans of a club like he is are beneficial in roles like his, how he focuses on what the numbers tell him and how not to spend too much time reading Twitter or message boards. We also chat about how he's moved seamlessly between three very different models of ownership helping the transition between each change. Damien Irvine, who I interviewed in episode 19, talked about Matt as someone he admired professionally himself. Don't forget, we've got the new Baz chat launching this coming Thursday and every last Thursday of the month. In this pod episode, we will be looking at activation, sponsorships and partnerships between brands and rights holders with a real expert in the field. You can listen via the usual channels. And don't forget to join the Fan Engagement Network at faninsights.co dot uk forward slash network forward slash join we're launching launching some new exclusive member services soon enjoy the episode yeah let's just see okay so matt um you've been at wickham for what six years is that right is this your sixth year or you're entering your seventh uh yeah i i've got a long sort of history with the football club uh, i was grown up uh, with all my family coming to the matches so my first game was in 93 um and sort of supported the club all through into my teens uh and i think there's, there's been a debate recently over the summer i saw one about whether fans should be at the heart of a club's media and marketing output uh, do they get too emotionally attached to the football um is it better to have someone that maybe is more strategic and away from the front line and not so immersed in what the supporters think but i feel like i've got such a long history with the club uh, an empathy for what fans have gone through and, and, and what the club has gone through. There are a lot of those lessons I can bring into the, the modern day. So, um, yeah, my first experience with the club in a working capacity was in 2005, doing some work experience in a website uh, role. At the time, there was a media team of five people, I think, which uh, you know it was it was big compared to the one that it is at the moment. It's particularly, this is a sort of just moving into a digital age. There was no social media at the time. Uh, Clubs were producing video output, but didn't really have anywhere to put it in front of huge audiences. So 2005 was my first um, sort of foot in the door with the club. Remained involved over the next decade or so. But yeah, uh, 2014 was the year I came back uh, as full-time head of media. And I can honestly say no two days have been the same in, in the six years that have followed. But it's been an amazing journey that the club's been on and a real privilege to have been part of it. Mm. So... Um... That, that's an interesting point that you kind of really started off with, which is about the idea of a fan being involved, so involved in the output. Um, I mean, in one sense, when you work for a football club, every per, every person I speak to, um, it, it isn't like going into an office. You sort of do become a fan regardless, even even if, um, you know, you've, you've got an allegiance to, to another club. Um, a very clear allegiance to another club so it's hard I can see that it's actually just in general it's quite hard to separate the job from the from the passion that a club has you know this is all about it 
So what you're really talking about is, can you make good decisions? Can you still make good decisions? Um, six, year, six years in, um, I presume that the answer to that is yes, you can make good decisions. Well, I think, I think empathy is the big word really of, of knowing really what supporters might be feeling about a particular topic. And, you know, just through the nature of my interest in the club, I keep a close eye on the social media and the forums. Um, it's easy to become obsessed with them. It's easy to be offended by one comment or to uh, think the world is about to end because one person has a particular grievance with the club. And I think you, you do learn to develop a thick skin. You do learn to detach yourself a little bit from, from one way of thinking. Uh, we have a, sort of a philosophy here that, you know, focus on what, the numbers are telling you not necessarily what one or two fans online are saying and, and you know we have to stick to our guns in, in some respects but I think you're right that a lot of people that come to work in football do a, develop that attachment and I think everyone in the office would say they're a fan of Wickham even though one of them you know grew up supporting Tottenham and, and they're still his first club but Wickham is his second club because um, it does get under your skin and, and you do really live and breathe it and, and take an interest in, in what everyone is saying about it so um I can see pros and cons of why people may think that having a fan running you know, the, the, the communication channels might be um, I don't know, lacking impartiality or, or kind of lacking a wider kind of business vision. Uh, and it, it has been suggested to me a couple of times that I need to become less of a supporter and more of a thinker um, and, and not getting bogged down. But at the same time, I like to think that I am aware of what supporters are thinking, the history of certain things, and particularly as we had last summer with new investors coming into the club from the States who had done a, a hell of a lot of research of their own and a lot of due diligence into the history of the club and, and its operating practices. But I feel like I was a helpful steering hand on a lot of uh, topics because I've been there and I've seen it and I've kind of observed what's worked well and what hasn't down the years. So um, I, I've certainly loved every minute of it. Um, I feel like I've got a real handle on the wider business sense. I don't feel I get too drawn just to the football when things are going well. Um, and yeah, as I say, everyone around me in the office feels like we're all supporters of the same club and, and pulling it in the right direction. Well, so there's, a, there's a, an interesting um, little bit of insight I got from when, um, when I interviewed Jay McKenna, who used to be the chair of Spirit of Shankly, the Liverpool Supporters Trust, and... Uh, I was also interviewing Cat Law from the Spurs Trust and um, Dan Crawford from the uh, Fulham Supporters Trust. Now, all of those, the two, two, the two latter, both meet regularly with the board of the club. Um, Jay, when he was chair, used to spend a lot of time talking with senior um, officials at the football club. So they're, they're all people who've got good insight into the, to the way that football clubs work and, and the people in them. And one thing Jay said to me, <clears throat> perhaps with the perhaps with the the additional benefit of of, of being of, of having stepped away now um is he said that he finds that people especially especially people who come in you know early on in their reign um as owners and and directors and such and, and senior officials so you quite often find he certainly did at liverpool that people will forget that um some of the bad things that happened at a club previously uh, a yes, they're going to be remembered by fans. That that was the time the club did this. That was the club. They don't see the difference between the personnel at the time and the personnel now. And he said, 
these people will own the results and the trophies, but they won't want to own the bad things that happened. And he was talking in particular reference to, you know, the rotten time that Liverpool fans had under the two, the two previous American owners, Gillette and Hicks, where it where they almost went into into uh, in, you know they almost became insolvent and went into administration as a football club before they were bought. And that that's a big thing, isn't it? So what I would call the sort of the memory is a bit that you therefore not just as a Wickham fan, but just I think just as someone who who has a who has a, a passion for for a club and understands that that would be a benefit at any football club because that insight is really important because that is the collective memory, isn't it? And that really affects anything you do. If you look at lots of sort of mar- you know, you'll see marketing initiatives and fan engagement ideas at certain clubs. Socios have become a, a bit of a controversial um, company over here with the fan token idea. Um, and if you'd had, if, so, if people have this memory and this experience and, and, and can key into that collective mindset of fans, then those sorts of ideas either get done better or they don't get done at all. So I think your, your, your mindset is a benefit and you seem to be very self analytical about it. So, you know, that's got to be something that benefits people really, isn't it? And I think so. I think, you know, I try and learn from my own experiences of what I've been able to influence at the club, but also my observations of how other people in positions of authority and responsibility have have tried to run the business. Uh, I think prior to the current setup here at Wickham, we had two very different ownership structures and I think they're perceived differently and I think you know history does change uh, time changes a lot of things and, and people perceive things differently the longer time goes on um, you know prior to the current ownership we were supporter owned for seven years and the trust came in this was a body of 11 directors all of whom were volunteers all of whom had different skill sets in property and law and finance and sales but none of whom had ever run a football club before you know and they're almost expected to come in and have all the answers straight away and they were learning on the job all about protocols of EFL and FA and rules and regulations dealing with agents and transfers and they'll admit they didn't get everything right but they had to steady a ship that was uh, you know an unsustainable business model and during that time we had great progress on the pitch um, moving towards sustainability off it but I think with the club's on-field progress it was kind of a struggle to keep up with that off the pitch as well. Uh, prior to the Supporters Trust were privately owned uh, and at the same time the same owner owned London Wasp Rugby Club and that came with quite a lot of I wouldn't say controversy but a lot of debate about what was in it for Wickham Wanderers, what was in it for Wasps, what was in it for the owner, uh, there was talk of a new stadium and, and I think because in the end that didn't go the way that the owner wanted it to some of our fans will look back and think that it wasn't the greatest period for the club. In that period, we did win promotion twice, um, weren't able to sustain ourselves at League One level. And I think there was, there was maybe a culture change where fans felt less like fans and more like customers at that time. And I think that was because the owner was a very successful businessman um, and the team that he brought in you know, weren't necessarily from a, a football culture, but were from a business culture. And... And I think that's kind of maybe how that legacy is remembered, that fan engagement and and kind of that closeness of, of family maybe eroded away a little bit towards the end. But that was restored under the trust. Um, and I think a lot of eyes were, were on the club last summer when 
Rob Kuhig, uh, his nephew Pete and, and Rob's wife Missy came in as a body and said, look, we, we want to invest in your football club and take it forward. And this was a real challenge now for supporters of the club to think, well, we may have hit the ceiling in terms of what we can do as a supporter-owned club, but we do trust the trust. We like being fan-owned. We like the romance of it. We like the security that we feel of it being our club. And we don't know if we want to give that away to this family from America that we know very little about. Um, a lot of things were obviously said at the start and, and, and promises were made. And I have to say, those promises have been upkept well and truly. I think everything that the Kuwigs said they would do, they have followed through on. Um, these weren't just hollow words to force through the vote, which was in the end overwhelmingly in favour of, of their coming in as majority shareholders. Um, and I think now more than ever, the supporters are really excited about the future because it's got, it's almost got the feel of a fan-owned club, but the resources, uh, the ambition and, and the infrastructure of a, a club that knows that it has backing and, and real kind of business acumen and, and commercial drive behind it. So how, just tell me in, uh, then, um, the, the, when it comes to fan engagement, we're talking about a club like your, yours, like Wickham, um, the, the resources um, are always going to be an issue, obviously, because, you know, you, you literally don't have the kind of money that a club twice your size, three times your size has, um, even if that does always mean a, a much bigger wage bill you know you go to two or three times bigger your wage bill is probably going to be four times bigger it's the perverse way football works but how much of what you, the way you relate as a club is based on the fact that you know in the way you do your fan engagement is based on the fact that actually not that long ago early 90s probably when you started watching Wickham yeah um, were, were a non-league club they'd been member owned for a long time as well I recall so the whole sort of way the club the mindset of the football club wasn't like that of a, of a club that's been in the football league for a hundred years or something like that. So it kind of had a slightly different mindset. Is that, is, you know, is that been a big determinant, even with all of the changes of, of, of ownership that you had going in and out of fan ownership into a very, as you say, very sort of business driven external from football, looking at it in a different, a different pair of eyes um, to the point um where you were briefly, you know, for seven years, fan-owned again, and then back into to 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 private ownership, albeit with a chunk of fan own, fan ownership as well. It is 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 that your background? Is that been really important to how you've managed to not? Because you know, you haven't fallen over as a club. I know financially you were very close to it a couple of times, but you haven't fallen over. You've you seem to be quite together as a club. Is that yeah. is that? culture has done for you is it giving you that foundation because you cut you know I think so I don't know if it's reflective of maybe the the local community you know it, it is a very uh, family-centric area that we live in outside of London very residential um, I think we were the first club maybe the only club to have won the Football League's Family Club of the Year two years running I think 07 and 08 um, and and generally I think the term family club has often been associated with Wickham Wanderers um, and, and that's just through the way it, it conducts itself. And I don't, I think for a long period, not necessarily a great deal of work was, was done into developing that. It is just a culture and a way of life. And that's kind of passed on from, you know, we're, we're all custodians of the football club at any one time. And, and 
when one custodian passes it over to the other and staff come and go, I think a lot of those values have been upheld. And, and probably because of the, the humble background of being a non-league club, you know, now in the championship, it's the highest the club has ever been. So it's always been felt that the right way to do things has been really to, you know, to, to be at the same level with your supporters, to talk to them, to be open to them, uh, to, you know, answer positively to their responses. And if, you, if there's a way that your club can help them and, and develop their allegiance to the club, then you do it on a one-to-one personal level. Um, I, read, I was given one bit of advice this year and, and this has been one year where we've we've opened our eyes further than just the local community and, and trying to appeal to the local supporters and, and the regulars. But we've been challenged by the chairman, you know, can you develop this club's worldwide appeal? And a few years ago, that would have been really scoffed at because, you know, you, you only need to focus on the 5,000 that are coming through the gates. What can anybody else do for you? And I think with developments in... Uh, streaming and merchandise and, and the revenue opportunities available for having a worldwide audience. We're now turning our focus, um, without forgetting those that are coming to Adams Park, but to, to what we can do to really reach out across the world to fans in all four corners of the globe. And, and you know, the, the, the saying that came our way was to act local but think global and always retain those those values of kind of humility, open transparency and communication. Uh, treat everybody like your neighbour, even if they are out in Spain or Mexico or Australia, whatever they may be, um, and have that kind of global thought process, but but acting locally. And I think part of that comes, um, you know, in the way that we conduct ourselves. We're all ambitious. We want the club to be the best it can be, but we want it to still feel like our club and the same club that it has been from those that stood on the terraces at Lokes Park in the 80s um, and that have you know, been coming to Adams Park with their kids. They don't want to lose that sense that, it is their club and they get this access and that they can still have photos and, and selfies with the players as they arrive. The players lo- know a lot of the fans by name. Uh, we as a staff know a lot of the fans by name. And I, I just think it feels like a very inclusive club. And that's one thing that you never want to lose, no matter how big you become, no matter how many levels you climb up. Um, so I do think it's a cultural thing that we're probably fortunate has been passed on from generation to generation and has never been lost along the way. So how do you, um, how do you make sure that, um, you know, at local think global, it's a great phrase, incidentally, I like it. It's, it's something I've heard in other contexts, but in the end, if your attention is taken elsewhere, um, it's perfectly, un, um, it's, it's perfectly understandable that to some extent you'll be pulled because you'll be stretched and be taken to other places and that you won't necessarily pay as much attention to those, you know, the people right in front of you. It's, it's perfectly possible that could happen. So how do you, you know, what sort of things do you do to make sure that those, that that doesn't happen? You know, how do you ensure that those people who come to matches all the time, the people who in the end will possibly forever I don't know but certainly for as far as we can think ahead or as far as I can think ahead will bring in the most money to you they will be the most important in terms of financial impact on the football how do you make sure you don't lose them in a sort of structural sense do you do you build in um, actual processes to fan engagement to make sure that you're not I don't know how involved you are in this side of it but you know actual things like forums and those sorts of things so those things become more important as your attention is taken to developing the football club and naturally will be because of being in the championship regardless of your model I think um, 
another thing that the new owners have been fantastic at is is their fan engagement and it, it hasn't necessarily been in a structured process you know we, we used to have a system uh it was called the fans council and it kind of eroded away uh, a year or so ago um and it was a, a regular meeting of, of fans with senior leaders at the club and, and they would openly discuss issues around the table and i don't know that it was ever productive enough to really warrant it, it it going forward and I think it, it got eroded away during a time of a change of ownership and, and lots of investment talk and, and the end of a season and it sort of ended there. Uh, the new owners are so open to communication and it's not necessarily done on a let's issue surveys and get loads of fans around the table but they respond to every email they get, every query they get, every idea. Uh, Pete who is the, the nephew of, of Rob but Pete is CFO, lives in High Wycombe Town Centre and if every night um, you know, he, he's out at, at pubs or at meetings or, or meeting up with fans or sponsors. If somebody's got an idea or something they want to contribute, this club wants to hear about it. And as I say, it's not necessarily structured. We don't have a we don't have a customer service or a supporter service department. You know, I, I don't think it's a department. I think it's an attitude, really, that that everybody that works at the club should want to uh, consult, to take on board feedback, to acknowledge ideas, to acknowledge offers of help. So. It may be something that, that needs to come, I think, with the club's growth. Uh, particularly, you know, I manage the social media accounts and it's now becoming, it's getting overwhelming with the volume of you know, questions and, and things that we're getting. You never want to ignore one. You never want to overlook anything. Um, but, it, you know, it, it does take up a lot of time. And, and that is probably a sign of the club's growth and, and the growth in the social media numbers in terms of, audience but also the amount of engagement that we're getting that it might be something we need to look at structuring uh, more as we go forward but um, the, the culture starts at the top the manager is fantastic as well that you know people will write to him and, and he will respond to them uh, and, and once you've got that already embedded in the club I think it's it's relatively straightforward for everyone else to follow so but of course there's a risk that the, the more successful a club gets and the bigger that its fan base gets globally um, and if we start selling out Adams Park, that those fans that maybe felt more included when there was only 3,000 people coming through the gates might be forgotten about. There is that risk. Um, but they will have a say and their voices will be heard if they ever feel the club is, is changing identity in a way that they don't like, I feel.